Now our Bible reading is taken from the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to read from the verse 18. <coughs> Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Let's hear the word of God. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings. Neither hast thou honoured me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money. Neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thy, that thou mayest be justified. Thy first father have sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary, and have given Jacob to the curse, and Israel to reproaches. Now today, my text is taken from Isaiah chapter 43 and the verse 26. It reads as follows, Put me in remembrance, let us plead together, declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Now I've entitled this morning's message simply, putting the Lord in remembrance. Now today, throughout the English-speaking world and beyond is known as Remembrance Sunday. Remembrance Sunday is always held on the Lord's Day nearest to the 11th of November. The 11th of November, remember, is Armistice Day going all the way back to 1918. And in this day, an act of remembrance is held at cenotaphs, war memorials in various cities and towns, in open airs, and in church buildings in memory of those who volunteered, served, fought, and died for free civil and religious liberty for all. And today again we stand in solidarity with millions across the United Kingdom, the Commonwealth, and other lands 
to remember those who fought and died, especially during World War I and World War II. And we think of the bravery of members of the British Army and members, members of the Royal Air Force and members of the Merchant Navy and the Royal Navy. Remember, war is a terrible thing. It's the scourge of any country. It's to be avoided, if at all possible, at all costs. However, there's times in the life of a nation when dictators arise, dictators that threaten our basic way of life and every freedom that we hold dear, uh, freedom to live, um, uh, freedom uh, uh, of the right to an open Bible, freedom to worship, freedom of speech, uh, freedom to have free assembly. These are all our basic freedoms. And so often we take them for granted. Young people do not take these freedoms for granted. Why? Because these freedoms were fought for and died for and eventually won during the Great War and the war that followed World War II 30 years later. I believe it's right that we take time to remember those who fought and died in the service of their country. Today we remember those who fought and died during the darkest period of Ulster's troubles. And together we want to remember the bravery of the Royal Ulster Constabulary, the bravery of the men and the ladies of the um, Ulster Defence Regiment. We, we think of the Royal Irish Regiment. I, I think of the emergency services like the fire brigade and the nursing staff and the doctors who were called upon to deal with the aftermath of most terrible atrocities. And today we think again of the 35th anniversary of the Poppy Day Massacre at Enniskillen on the 8th of November 1987. Ten civilians were blown apart and one police officer, 63 people injured. We could add the Claudie bombing, the Shankill bombing, the Le Mans bombing, the, the murder of 18 soldiers at Narrow Water down there in Newry. We could think about darkly today. You see, these are all worthy of a mention. Everyone worthy of being remembered because everyone lost at that time precious, precious loved ones. And, and the, those who are alive are coping with the aftermath of life-sustaining injuries. Isn't it interesting today that the Republican movement, who hates all things British and Protestant, they spew out the lie that the poppy we wear is divisive. The poppy we display is divisive, that it celebrates war. I want to tell you this morning that it doesn't. It's a lie. It's worn not to celebrate war or celebrate the British Army or, or any other regiment connected with the British Army or any other armed forces. It's worn as a mark of genuine respect. It is our way of acknowledging their sacrifice and the massive loss of life. It's not designed to glorify war. It's worn to signify the somber reality of the pain of war and blood that was shed. Young people, I have a poppy here. Look, the center is black. And black, of course, stands for sin. It, it, it's the symbol of evil. It's the symbol of war. And you've got this red poppy reminding of what was uh, growing in Flanders fields and in Flanders fields and we've been there in the Great War you would have come across pool after pool of blood the red signifies the blood and the green 
Well, well, that's a sign of life. The loss of life that was given. And the loss of life that was preserved. Life arises out of death. That's what the poppy stands for. It's not to celebrate war. That's a lie. And it's wrong to say it. And it's time we started speaking up and speaking back. It's designed as a somber reminder of the sacrifice and the bravery of those who fought fall during war to bring about our freedoms. And today I want to say again, it is right that we stand to remember. Now the word remember is found in the Bible. Getting on to the sermon now. 210 times. I told you that before. The word remembrance is used 53 times. And here's such one reference. Listen to these words. Isaiah 43 and verse 26. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. God is speaking. Here's a wonderful text of Holy Scripture. The Lord is speaking. He's addressing the children of Israel. He is saying to them, listen to these words. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Verse 22. He tells them, you haven't called upon me. In fact, you've been weary of me. And you've not brought me certain gifts that he mentions in verse 23 and, and verse 24. And then he adds in verse 24b, Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. Thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. And then you've got this amazing announcement about the subject of the forgiveness of sins. And a wonderful promise not to remember thy sins. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. And then he adds this. He makes a plea here. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. You want to think of a courtroom. <clears throat> There's a trial taking place. There's a defendant in the dock. And he's been urged to use every argument in his own defense. He's been invited to state everything that you can think of that will self-vindicate you for your actions, your lifestyle, your behavior towards the law of the land. And then God uses that and says, put me in remembrance of it all. You see, he wants them to realize that they have greatly transgressed. He wants them to understand that they are being justly punished. And he's saying to them by way of a plea, you remind me of everything which you have urged before me in thy defense. And then to top of that, then you remind me of my gracious promise and grace toward you. You remind me of my mighty promise to you about forgiveness. Remind me of my mighty power. You become one who stands before me to make this plea. Put me in remembrance. Now I want to take this text, set it in this context, speak a wee bit more in depth about it, and just bear with me please for the next 15, 20 minutes or so. Think of the command that is to be exercised. Put me in remembrance. 
You see, this is a command. God is inviting the ungodly to come before him and plead and state everything that they can think of in the form of self-vindication for their action, their behavior, their lifestyle towards him. He wants them to lay it all out. Every piece, everything that you can think of, set it all before me. Don't now let me forget anything. Not one bit. So you put me in remembrance of all your merits that you think you have before me as a basis upon which I'll accept you. Or as a basis for your self-justification. Make every plea. Set it out in case form, argument after argument. And just in case I have overlooked something. Use every argument in your self-defense. Pretend that, that, that I've forgotten something. Merits that I haven't considered. Lay it all out. Bring it to my attention. Now you ask yourself this morning if you're out of Christ. You're not saved. Ask yourself what can you say to God about your sinful behavior, your sinful lifestyle, and your ungodly state. Are you going to argue that you were born into a Christian country? There is no such place. The UK might be Christianized in the past, but it's never a a, a, a true Christian country. Maybe you're going to argue, but I've been born into a good godly home and that's a wonderful privilege. Maybe you're going to say, but I grew up with the Bible, but, but I, I attended church services on the Sunday. Maybe you're going to argue, but I live a respectable life. I, I, I have religious thoughts and feelings. I, I'm striving to be honest and upright as a citizen. I'm trying the best. Wait a minute, Lord. My father died in the war. My grandfather died in the war. And ask yourself this. Is all of that a ground and a merit upon which God would declare you legally justified, upon which God would pronounce a full and free pardon? You see, God wants them to think about their rebellion toward him. And he wants to, them to think about everything that they can imagine for self vindication. Put me in remembrance, not only of your rebellion toward me, but also of the need of remission before God. Look at the context. Verse 25, I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Is that not a gracious promise of a full and free remission of sins? See, God never forgets. God promises to pardon sin. Here's a gracious promise on the ground of the blood sacrifice and full satisfaction of Christ. And this promise can be pleaded. This promise can be declared and brought to God's attention as to what God has said. Here's the true ground of a full free justification. Pleading the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ that in that merit and that ground, you might be justified by it. Isn't it so interesting that we've got two testaments and one Bible? And yet that one Bible has one underlying, united story of redemption. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, you've got the bloodline of redemption. Genesis 3.15, you've got the first gospel promise, a, a wonderful promise. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his seed. There's the thought about war. Satan versus the Son of God. 
the Son of God in combat with Satan, the seed of the woman. That's the first gospel promise. And you see, the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, everything in that Old Testament points to Christ. The tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the furniture. It's the same with the temple. And of course, the Old Testament centered on a more ritualistic form of worship. But when we come into the New Testament, of course, the proclamation is that Christ has come. Listen to these words. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, it's by Christ. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ and the merits of the blood sacrifice that we offer our praise to God. That's how God accepts it. It's through the merits of the blood sacrifice that we pray and God hears our prayers. It's through the merits of the blood sacrifice that we, we practice our giving because we give ourselves first to the Lord and then of our substance as God enables us. It's on the ground of the merits of the blood sacrifice of Christ that we're faithful to preach the word, that, that we participate in the administration of the sacraments. And yet the strange thing is this in both testaments, one that was ritualistic, and one that's true praise and prayer and practice and preaching and participation on the merits of the blood of Christ, a common element in both is this, the theme of remembering. Why? Because God commands it. Look with me at verse 22 again, Isaiah 43, verse 22. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Think of those words, thou hast been weary of me. Look at verse 24. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins, thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. You see, what was true then is true now. It's applicable to the United Kingdom. That There are thousands, tens of thousands, millions this day who are weary of God. And the same number make God to serve with their sins. And they weary him with their iniquities. Why? Here's the answer. Their hearts are far from God. They've never truly been born again of the Spirit of God. Listen to what the Gospel of Matthew says in Matthew chapter 15 and in the verses uh, 7 uh, through to 9. The, the Lord Jesus um, made this uh, tremendous statement. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 15 verses 7 to 9. He said this. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You, you think of the coldness today and the prayerlessness and the worldliness, and the carelessness, and the selfishness. You see, it's, it's me, me, me. It's my, my, my. Why? Because the heart is not right before God. It's not right before the master. Remember he said, Matthew 6 and 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. It's not that the kingdom of God is first. It is, but the kingdom of God is central in the life. You're under the reign and rule of God's grace now and glory to come. 
But, but many have banished this thought from their hearts and minds. They're guilty of ignorance. They're guilty of deliberately ignoring this because their hearts are not in worship. Their heart is not in the right way of God. You see, the word weary means that it's a big toil. I can't be bothered. It's mundane. It's tedious. It's too much effort. Have we not lost sight of who the Lord is? Have we not lost sight of all his many blessings? Have we not lost sight of a true spirit of gratitude for all that he is and all that he's done for us? The work of creation, providence, redemption. He says, put me in remembrance of it all. Let's recall it to mind. You recall it to your mind and bring it to my attention. And see if you've got a ground of self-indication or self-justification. It all traces back to whether our heart is right before God or not. A command that's to be exercised. Rebellion or remission. Put me in remembrance. Notice something else <coughs> very quickly. The confession that is required. You see, when God says, put me in remembrance, I believe he was thinking of two things. The word remembrance means to recall to mind. Okay? Remind me of the burden of your sin, because that's the reality. You are weary of me. In other words, you're playing games with me. You're going through the motions, because as I've said, your heart is not right. And I want to tell you something else. You have wearied me. Not only are you weary of me as an individual and as a collective community, but you also have wearied me with your iniquities because I know every sin. I know your lifestyle choice. I know your thoughts, your deeds, your words. And I want you to come before me and face this reality. I want you to acknowledge your true state and condition of your heart. That's my invitation to you. Put me in remembrance because this is the burden of sin that you've put upon me. Remember John says, 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you think of the burden of sin that's on the heart and mind of God because the people have wearied, become weary of him and wearied him with their iniquity. He knows the burden of being weary of him cannot be bothered, too tedious, something too mundane, no excitement, lost the joy, no, no real delight in him, no satisfaction, going through the motions, a name to live but are dead. Is that a picture of you this morning? Is that the true state and condition of your heart as a professing child of God, that, that, that you're weary of him? Are you wearying him with your iniquities? Not only think of the burden of your sin here in this confession, but think of the blessing of the Savior. Here's the Lord's tremendous response to that burden of sin. I believe this verse, Isaiah 43 and 25, is one of life's greatest blessings ever announced. How does the Lord respond to that burden of sin that's placed upon him by his people who've become weary of him and wearied him with their iniquities? This is the Lord's response. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. He's granting to the penitent sinner a full 
free and forever pardon of sin. Let me link it up here. Look at Isaiah chapter 44, verse 21, 22. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel. Isaiah 44, 21. For thou art my servant, I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgression, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Notice the proclamation of forgiveness. I, even I, am he. You see, the Lord himself is the only one that's able to grant forgiveness of sins. And that's a great truth here we can do well to remember. Only the Lord can pardon sins. No one else can forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God only, the Lord Jesus said. And that's a truth to keep in sharp focus today. You see, the devil is not there just a falsehood. The devil's the great deceiver. There's a great deceit going on in people's hearts and minds. The church can forgive sins that can't. Neither the Protestant church or the Roman Catholic church. A priest can't forgive a man's sins. An elder or a pastor can't forgive a man's sins. That, that's a falsehood. That's a great deceit. And the devil comes and says there's other ways to receive pardon of sin. But it's all a lie. Remember the devil's an angel of light. You need pardon, he says, yes, but, but where do you look for it? What's the source of it? And here's divine revelation. The Lord alone bestows a full and free and forever pardon. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my name's sake. What a wonderful comfort. What great clarity. What certainty is here. And I, he says, will remember thine sins and iniquities no more. Maybe you're here and you're full of doubt. You're full of worry. You've got no assurance. You're in widespread disbelief. Maybe you've already been led astray to other sources to try and find pardon for sin. It's important to grasp. Here's the proclamation of God himself. People tell us when you can't know that your sins are fully forgiven until you die. Until you stand before God in the judgment. No one could possess that knowledge. You have to wait to the day of your death. Or the day of judgment. But it's a lie. Because here it is in the clearest terms. Plain revelation. God alone is the one who proclaims. A full and free and forever pardon. What an amazing truth. Not only think about the proclamation of forgiveness here. But think about the <coughs> principle of forgiveness. It's forgiveness toward rebellious, impenitent sinners who, who are weary of God and who have made the Lord to serve with their sins and have wearied him with their iniquities. What does that mean? It means that they have taken all the blessings, every temporal gift, the gift of health and strength, the gift of life itself, the gift of breath, the gift of food, the gift of family, the gift of money to, to pay their bills. And they have used that to defy the Lord. They have used that to sin against him. They, they have used these temporal and physical and material gifts to live in sin. They, they have served sin by them. And it was the mercy of God to bestow such good gifts in the first place. And they have taken them and used them against him to the point where he's wearied with their iniquity. And is that not true of the rich and famous? The, 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 the upper class, the middle class, the working class today? 
And yet, when that rebellious and penitent sinner comes to see the reality of their sin, that they have sinned against the Lord, the depravity of their sin, it's, it's against God's law, the enormity of their sin, and feel there's no hope for me, I'm lost, I'm undone, I'm unworthy. Then the Lord comes with this amazing promise, that this tremendous message, when people are at the point of despair, no hope for me, the Lord comes and he puts forth this wonderful principle of forgiveness. Think of the purpose of forgiveness here. For mine own sake. In other words, it's for his glory. It's for his honor. Salvation, the text behind the pulpit says, is of the Lord. You see, it's all for God's glory. It's all of God's grace and all for God's glory first and foremost. Over there in the book of Revelation, we read this tremendous statement in Revelation chapter 5 and in the verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made, unto our, has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign in the earth. All praise is his. That's the purpose of forgiveness, that he gets all the glory, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I know it's for our good, but ultimately it's for his glory. That's the purpose of his forgiveness. Think of the provision of his forgiveness. He says, I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. You see, I want you to understand that God will never blot out one sin, your sin or mine, either thought, word or deed, until that sin has been paid for with a full satisfaction being made to him. Sin must be paid for. Sin must be atoned for. The word blotteth here means to erase. You think of tipex. I don't think you can get it now. And you could have the complete removal of a word in a page and a new word written. And of course, you'd probably still know that tipex was there. But, but the, the idea of the word blotteth means complete removal of. And he gives us the illustration. I have blotted out in chapter 44, 22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. You think of a thick cloud that's full of a dark color. That, that's full maybe of snow and hail and, and heavy rain. And it's, it's rising up to burst over a particular area or upon a particular building or in a particular place. And if it's not blotted out, it's going to burst. And it'll bring whatever it brings in its wake. How can it be removed? How can it be taken away? Well, you think of a thick cloud in the atmosphere. And then the sun is shining in its strength. And you look and the dark cloud is gone. You thought it was going to rain. You thought it was going to be a thunder a thunderstorm, a downpour. And then, and then it's gone. How is it gone? Through the strength and the shining and the sign of the sun. The son of righteousness. He shines upon this thick cloud of, of judgment and darkness. And dispels that. Removes it. Because that sin has been paid for in full. Christ died for our sins, the Bible tells us. According to the scriptures. Think of who died. Why, di why he died. The way he died. It's all here in the book. The provision of forgiveness, 
Sin has to be blotted out, can only be blotted out when it's paid for in full. Think of the promise of forgiveness. Notice the end of the text, and will not remember thy sins. Isn't that beautiful? Will not remember thy sins. Here's covenant language. The covenant God is speaking to his covenant children. The person who comes to Christ is freely granted a full and free and forever justification. And the promise is this, I will not remember thy sins. In other words, I'll not hold them against you. I'll not bring them up to you at a later stage. I'll not harbor any bitterness over the way you've treated me, being weary of me, wearied me with your iniquities. I'll not take revenge on you. Even though you've been rebellious for me at a stage. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And not only now, not only in time, but even in eternity. Could you imagine facing God in the judgment? And would it not be terrifying? Is it not a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? And God would say to any of us, why should I let you into my heaven? What would we answer? You've made a promise to me your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Your word is true and you can't go back on your word. You see, that's the confession that is required. Confess to me your burden of sin, but confess before me the blessing of my salvation. And one final thought, our time is gone. A consideration that is assured. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. What's God saying here? He's saying to his people, remind me what I said. Remind me of my word. You see, that's the only warrant. Remind me of my word. Let me read this final verse in closing. I'll tell you a little story. And then we'll close the service. Over in John chapter 5 and verse 24, we read these words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. There's a wee fella and he got saved. He was maybe about eight or nine years of age. He could have been 10. And he was sitting at home one day and the devil was tormenting him in his mind. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. How could you be saved? How could you be a Christian? And the wee fella was doubting in his mind. Now, he had asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And he was reading this verse, John 5 and 24. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, here's the Lord speaking. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath what everlasting life. That's wonderful. And shall not come into condemnation. You'll you'll not be put away at the judgment. But, and you've passed from death unto life. And the wee fella took the Bible. He shoved it in below the sofa. And he shouted out, Here, devil, read that. God's true to his word. You see, you can stand upon the word of God. That's the only warrant that you have. Reminding God of his own word. And I say in closing, maybe you're here and you're full of despair. And you're afraid. And you're afraid to meet God in the day of death or in the hour of judgment. God pleads with you to come. And this is what he said. Put me in remembrance of my word. Let us plead together 
and I'll give you an answer. For my word is true. My word is pure. My word will stand. I'll never go back in my word. If I make you a promise and your sins and iniquities I'll remember no more, I'll be true to that word. Here's a command that is to be exercised. Here's a confession that is to be made. Here's a consideration that's to be assured. May the Lord take his word today and bless it to your heart.